You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 279. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. And of course, joined today, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, it's it's uh, another... It, 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 Exciting night for interesting conversations. Yes, yes. I'm still getting used to the standing desk. I'm not sure. I think it's a little high, a little low. Maybe I should make it a little lower. I don't know. For the three three of you watching, although maybe we have more after the Dictator of Easton episode, maybe we have more people watching the uh, the video. So uh, you never know. Um, the standing desk is, is too many options. You, yeah. You need, you need down, you need up. Yes. Having, people, having every setting in between is too much. I'm surprised we didn't get more commentary from the Dictator of Easton episode, as uh, I feel like a lot of people watched it and they were probably like, what the? And then <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't, didn't respond. But anyway, uh, lots of stuff happening today. So we did the, we put out the Dictator of Easton episode. I don't think I've spoken to you since then. I put out a recent episode where I talked about proof of stake. Um, I don't know if you learned anything from that. And then I had open source uh, software with Max Howell. So that was all, right. uh, that was all, um, that was all, all the business the we've had on local, weeks, Max- yeah. on local maximum recently. Right. So, uh, did you get a chance to catch any of those? Which ones have you uh, listened to yeah, so far? So, so, so I've listened to all of those except, uh, the dictator East, Eastern one. I watched like the first 15 minutes and then I had to take a break and I haven't gone back to it yet. <laughs> I actually watched the whole thing. It kind of made it, uh, it was actually perfectly fine unless you're watching it with someone. Definitely watch it with someone. I think I think that would that would be enjoyable. Um, all right, uh, local maximum labs. Some of the research coming along. I have this paper. I know it's marked up, but I put the the final version online. Um, algorithms for multivariate multivariate Newton Raphson for optimization. Rather than me stumbling over the title, let me just explain. It's kind of a, a you know, it's it's basically just solving a linear algebra problem. So if you're in undergrad linear algebra, or you want to brush up on those skills. Uh, this new paper is uh, is kind of a good one for you. But it basically you know solves a, um, a a matrix inversion problem where you have a matrix that's both that's a constant. All the all the thing all the items are constant plus a diagonal. How do you invert that matrix? Um, it's been solved uh, you know 70 years ago, but um, I was trying to use it in a solution to the Dirichlet multinomial problem from my paper 10 years ago, and I got it right in my code. I screwed it up in the paper, and a lot of people who have read that paper from 10 years ago have asked me, like, hey, how did you get this? So I thought I'd put this out, and then now I'm going to refresh that 10-year-old paper and uh, try to explain in more detail what is really going on. Exciting. Uh, and and I guess I I see you you you've got a link in our show notes here, but is is it already up on the local maximum website, or do you does yep. the link need to be posted there? Okay, no, it's posted it's on localmaxradio.com/labs, ah, oh. and there's also a version on ResearchGate. Um, it's not the type of paper that I would put on archive, but it's you know it's so 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 a, a little bit behind the scenes uh, sausage making here. You're going to want to update the date on that to May uh, 2023. Uh, You've got it as 2022 right now. Really? It, 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 at least when I'm looking at the local maximum labs page. 
Oh, 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 on the local Maximum Lab page, on the paper itself, it says May 2023. I, I have right. not clicked through, yeah. Yes, okay, good. Okay, so the PDF that's floating around is fine. It's just the website. All right. I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, we can go ahead and fix that. All right. Good. All right. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, All right. We've got uh, quite a topic today. And, you know, I want to go into maybe a more, yeah, maybe a more contentious political topic, but why not? We've done it before um, and we'll do it again. Um, But I think the big question that has, one of the big questions that's come up, you know, in my circles quite a lot is, uh, you know, the idea of, are we living through medical tyranny? You know, what is the uh, what has been the effect of covid on our civil rights in particular, as, as you know, stated by Justice uh, Gorsuch, uh, Neil Gorsuch, in a recent decision? It's an interesting decision. and I'm, I'm actually not entirely sure uh, what, what the context of the decision is. It's in Arizona versus uh, Mayorkas. And apparently it has something to do with Title 42, which is some immigration law that is um, uh, that was kind of emergency put in by um, uh, you know by the by the Trump administration during COVID but actually so even though he's writing kind of a conservative you know an opinion that would be associated with the right on this uh, on this decision I think they're basically also saying like hey all of these emergency measures including the immigration stuff uh, has got to go. Uh, that, yeah, that's it, sort of it, my impression. It really shows what a, a twisted web uh, current political uh, alliances is. Maybe not the right term, but the yeah. the the bundle of beliefs that are that are uh, stuck together as being you know team red or team blue. The fact sure. that that if if you were to read his opinion uh, on on the theory and and the merits, it, it comes across as a very um, conservative uh, slash libertarian. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. However, uh, apparently a lot of Republicans are displeased with the decision because uh, it is it is essentially ending uh, a tool that was being used to uh, restrict certain certain immigration or or force uh, immigrants seeking asylum in the U.S. to uh, exhaust other alternatives before being allowed in and uh, something that that the current Republican Party tends to be in favor of. Uh, although to be fair, uh, the program, uh, there was not a move by the current administration to strike the program. They may have in fact expanded it. Um, so Hmm. it's the, the rhetoric, uh, in support of this would be, would very much be something on team red, but, but both teams are doing it. Uh, but but yeah, it's, it's, it's in a completely different direction than the, the arguments being made here, which seem very, very much, uh, team red, uh, it, these not, days, not, I'm, yeah, but you know, not, look, not least in the in the uh, opposition to some of the things during done during uh, the pandemic, but but in a more general sense as well. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 never been my contention that you know this concern about like you know taking away you know liberties during an emergency is a bad thing, and and you know censorship and losing your free speech is a bad thing that. Like, I've never seen that as a position that should be considered like right wing or conservative, even though it is associated with that. Now, in fact, I think a lot of the things that we're going to read here, uh, you know, Robert F. Kennedy would probably agree with uh, quite a bit of it. And he's at what, like 20 percent in the Democratic primary right now? Uh, He's he's, uh, in. in, I I absolutely expect him to get uh, 
the same, if not worse, treatment than Bernie in in terms of uh, he he may have a strong following and they will do everything they can to prevent him from making it through the primary phase. Right. But if you see that happen, that already makes the point that it's like, yeah. well, they had to do it uh, versus. Oh, my God. I'm sorry about this cough, people. I know it's really annoying when you, you know, but uh, no time to edit. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It, it's um, it, it it will be an interesting uh, 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 year because all of this will play out literally in the next year. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I it, it, it will be interesting to see if he takes some of these ideas to the Democratic voters not to the party, you know, not to the party insiders, but to the voters, how many voters will agree with him. And we might be surprised. It's a lot more than we think. Um, so anyway, let's look at um, what uh, Neil Gorsuch says. Yeah, we, we've been uh, talking after, around it, but let's let's hear some of his actual yeah, words. After and, and he writes very uh, well. Um, so I summarize some of this later on. And it's like my summary does not you know, is not as good as his writing, but uh, you know, the first four pages, he goes on and makes the decision and it sounds all like legalese to me. Uh, But then he says, look, since March, 2020, we may have experienced the greatest intrusions on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. Um, And that's, that's the statement that uh, a lot of people take issue with. And so we'll get into that in a minute. He continues, executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders, forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favored businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions, too. Uh, They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warning that attendance at even outdoor services, satisfying all states' social distancing and hygiene requirements, could amount to criminal conduct. They divided cities and neighborhoods into color-coded zones, forced individuals to fight for freedoms in court on emergency timetables, and then changed their color-coded schemes when defeat in court seemed imminent. Um, And by the way, for all of this stuff, he cites actual court cases that were going on through the court system. So it's not like he cited, um, I don't know, Infowars on the Supreme Court. I was going to say, I I was not familiar with the casino case, but but, uh, it it is indeed footnoted in there. So he's not pulling that out of nowhere. And just to save time, he talked a lot about, you know, the the vaccine mandate. And I could talk a lot about, you know, my situation in New York City. I lived in New Hampshire at the time, of course. But man, I remember it was so irrational. I could go into New York City and I'd be indoors for like 30 minutes um, shopping at a place. But they had a coffee stand. And as soon as I ordered a cup of coffee, it's like, let's see ID. Let's see, you know, uh, you know, let's see what... Um, you know, let's see what you had in terms of uh, your vaccinations. Uh, show me your card. Show me your dates. It was just everywhere. And it was um, it it felt surreal, almost like I was living in kind of a show me your papers society. And it was actually quite disturbing. Uh, and um, it, it popped up at very strange times. Like I wasn't expecting like, you know, I was driving through and I didn't realize I was still in Queens and, you know, it would happen. Uh, and so it was uh you know, it was very odd. It was very odd how 
the mayor de Blasio like sold it. And he was like, don't you want your free French fries? Mmm, I got my vaccine and I got my free French fries. And it was just, it was total cringe, but not just that. It was, um, you know, it was just like, what are they trying? What do they think they're trying to accomplish here? I mean, in some sense, these are not very smart people. But uh, I think the best part comes later, which kind of reminds me of of Benjamin Franklin, the, the quote where he says, if you want safety instead of liberty, you're going to get uh, neither. But he writes at the end, doubtless, many lessons can be learned from this chapter in our history, and hopefully serious efforts will be made to study it. One lesson might be this, fear and the desire for safety are powerful forces. They can lead a cl- to a clamor for action, almost any action, as long as someone does something to address a perceived threat. And I definitely remember that. Uh, a leader or an expert who claims he can fix everything, if only we do exactly as he says, can prove an irresistible force. We do not need to confront a bayonet. We need only a nudge before we willingly abandon the nicety of requiring laws to be adapted, adopted by our legislative representatives and, accepted rule, and accept ruled by decree. Along the way, we will accede to the loss of many cherished civil liberties, the right to worship freely, to debate public policy without censorship, to gather with friends and family, or simply to leave our homes. We may even cheer on those who ask us to disregard our normal lawmaking processes and forfeit our personal freedoms. Of course, this is no new story. Even the ancients warns that democracies can generate, degenerate towards autocracy in the face of fear. Um, I'm actually kind of interested as to what source that is, but I don't have it right in front of me. Um, And then he goes on, but maybe we have learned another lesson too. The concentration of power in the hands of so few may be efficient and sometimes popular, but it does not tend towards sound government. However wise one person or his advisors might be, that is no substitute for the wisdom of the whole of the American people that can be tapped in the legislative process. Decisions produced by those who indulge no criticism are rarely as good as those produced after robust and uncensorable debate. Decisions announced on the fly are rarely as wise as those that come after careful deliberation. Decisions made by a few often yield unintended consequences that may be avoided when more are consulted. Autocracies have always suffered these defects. Maybe, hopefully, we have relearned these lessons too. And of course, that kind of reminded me of the debate I did in episode 51 on monarchy versus democracy. I was like, I could have used this guy to kind of write some of my notes because uh, it would have kind of helped me uh, argue in favor of democracy for that. Although maybe I, I didn't quite need it. I felt like I came up with, with, with some of this yeah, stuff so on my own. It, it looks like uh, his, his reference for the uh, democracies de- degenerating towards autocracy in the face of fear is in fact uh, Aristotle's politics. Okay. Okay. Very so a, interesting. A, a true classic. Yeah. All right. So this guy's read a lot. Um, so, okay. Um, what can we what What can we say about this before going on to you know some of the some of the criticisms? Because this really did strike a chord with me. Now I, I understand there are people are on Twitter saying if this strikes a chord with you, you're a terrible person. Uh, <laughs> well, be, be, but before we jump to that, there there are two. There's there's two thoughts I want to kind of call out that, that are, yeah. are very much connected here. So um, right now uh, it is 
near impossible. Uh, so so uh, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, it may be a past crisis or a, still a pending crisis. But right now, all the, the news is talking about uh, the debt ceiling. Uh, right. And and it appears that our government is incapable of negotiating a resolution to this, quote unquote, crisis. Um, and this is nothing new. Uh, they Haven't have we been appear- here before with like the Tea Party and all that in 2013? Well, but the, the, the government appears to be incapable of doing anything effective in any sort of reasonable timeline. And and that mm. is exactly that, what he's taught. That is uh, it only makes it more attractive to to look to uh, more expeditious alternatives to this form of government. If democracy can't accomplish it, then maybe we do need to, to look at more uh, autocratic or more, uh, you know, bureaucratic executive uh, uh operation type type uh, options um, and I think that ties in very closely with what he said about um, the the clamor for action almost any action as long as someone does something to address a perceived threat um, there is a, a tendency in in a moment of crisis uh, and these are crises of, of a wide range of variety uh, that we must do something is 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 you know axiom a and axiom B is this is something therefore we must do this. And and w- without doing any sort of weighing the cost benefits, considering alternatives, it is it is purely that this is a thing that we could do that is purported to address the the issue that we're looking at. Therefore, we must do it. Uh, and oftentimes, in a situation, it's the address the issue act actually makes things worse. But it was a thing we did, and so we we can point back and say, look, we did something. We didn't sit on our, our hands and do nothing. We took right. action. And that's why you should vote for us again uh, during this, the most important election of your lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if you remember at the time, I mean, now it's, you know, we look back and it's sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, Trump can take some um, blame for some of this. But if you remember back at the time, you know, he was criticized for being kind of the most reluctant kind of person to do these lockdowns. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it's interesting to go back and see how to how, like try to figure out what the right way to, to, to write this history is. And I think, you know, uh, you know, I, obviously I spoke to a lot of libertarians when I lived in New Hampshire, there was kind of a defeatist attitude sometimes of like, oh, history is just going to be written by people who hate us. And they're going to say like, oh, you know, we took all these actions during COVID and it helped and these Big meanies complained about it, and you know. Well, there, too there bad is that, a fair amount of. Uh, I don't think. Can I just? Can I just finish? Like, uh, go, I go think ahead. it's yeah. like. I just think you're too pessimistic if you think history is going to be written that way. I think people think that way because they look around at what people are saying now, or what people were saying three years ago, and they can't imagine that things will change. And I just, I just want people to see that, uh, you know, the, the conversation does change over time. Well, and, and I think that the, absolutely the conversation has changed, but uh, I, I have a black pill take on how it's changing. Uh, it's changing in that the people who were advocating for all these things two, three years ago are now saying, well, we never actually said that. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we were trying to open the schools as quickly as possible, or we were trying to lift the lockdowns as, as early as possible. Oh, uh, yeah. When, when they absolutely I, were. They are, they are revising. Is it working, though? Uh, I, they've they've convinced themselves. Uh, the question is how how 
how many others will be convinced by it. Uh, yeah, very few people actually say, oh, you got me, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. Um, well, and, and, and that, that raises a... A huge challenge. Uh, I mean, there's 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 all sorts of negative selection effects in politics already. But uh, one of one of the big things is is being branded a flip flopper. Uh, I, I I was it was it Romney John, or or someone, John Kerry? Someone, yeah, that that, that there have been numerous candidates who who've been tarred with that brush. And on the one hand, uh, I I can understand why it is uh, per, per potentially a negative to look at someone who. Uh, if you view it as well, they're they're changing their opinion for what's most expeditious for their own political career, um, and that is undesirable for me as as a voter. Um, however, uh, we need to find a way to encourage and reward people who, when they hold one opinion and then they are presented with evidence which uh, indicates that they were incorrect or they were, and they change their mind to uh, they. They uh, revise their 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 priors based on the results that they have observed from you know experimental evidence. We we need to have a better way to reward that. Uh, and I mean this is this is getting a little bit far afield from what we're talking about here. But but I, I see that as a major problem, uh, not just in politics but especially in politics. Uh, that hmm. that there is a huge incentive to double down, dig deeper, uh, or or simply to deny that you ever said the things that you said. Um, so that it's it's not that that I even was wrong, and I even learned, when we can look it up, I was wrong. I learned new facts. I changed my 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 stance on this. Is that I was never wrong. I always said the right thing. And and how dare you imply that I could have been wrong in the past? Yeah, it's we it, we oftentimes remember things that that way. And and I I don't know if you've ever like changed your position well, on something, oh, oh, and then you and then you look back and then you're like, oh, I do not remember holding this view or. Sometimes it's like I remember holding the correct view a lot more strongly than I actually did when you especially, go back. And especially when it is is a paradigm shift in the way you think about things, right. because your 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 brain has literally uh, been been you know reformulated, and so you can't put your head back in the 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 mind space that you were in before when you held those previous. So it's I can understand from kind of a psychology perspective why why people might do this, uh, but but yeah when when we have the receipts, uh, some sometimes literally receipts and sometimes you know video or transcript evidence, uh, it's it's hard to understand why people would would continue to push that that kind of internal revisionist history of of what they said and when they said it. Yeah, but I think e even if we talk about like the. The individuals involved are never going to like apologize or whatever. But I think, and I don't know why people are so concerned about this, but I, I for some reason, I'm concerned about this. Like, how will this be looked at, uh, you know, in, in the future to people who weren't quite as, as, as involved. Oops. And I feel like the idea that it's, and there are some actually kind of villainous things in history that have kind of slipped through the cracks and weren't recognized until like much later. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like this one's. I feel like this is going to be unpopular in a quite short period of time. Well, uh, I, and, I, I I haven't done my research on this. However, yeah. uh, the 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 first sentence you read from from his uh, uh, his his opinion uh, yeah. mentions greatest intrusion on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. So which, th that's one of the controversial things well, that well, uh, which. I'm 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 not getting to that yet, but I'm I'm yeah. I am going to talk about what that is is uh, not so subtly uh, pointing at. 
is that uh, one of the greatest intrusion on civil liberties during wartime in this country was the internment of uh, Japanese citizens or, right. or Japanese residents in the United States. And and what I'm wondering about now is how long after uh, they released the the Japanese uh, residents from the camps uh, was it until there was actually an official apology, an admission that what we did was wrong? Because because I'm sure in 1945 they did not say, oh yeah, that was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. They just said, okay, war's over. Thank you for your uh, your cooperation. You you can return to your homes now. And it was probably decades before there yeah. was a formal so, apology. I just looked it up. Uh, 1988. Okay. Yeah. So so Signed we're looking at, at you know by Reagan, 40 years to 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 yeah. officially recognize that. Now may, maybe the the news and history cycle is accelerated and, and it'll take less time for, for an official uh, retraction just, to happen here, but I'm not optimistic there. Just wait till you learn how long it took for Massachusetts to uh, apologize for the witch trials and uh, hangings hey, and stuff like hey, that. We don't like to talk about that here because I think <laughs> we, we may have hung more witches in my town than Salem did. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Well, but, I, you know, well, I, and, I, and, I remember the end of that and, and like, if I read it correctly, and I could be I could be wrong about this, but like one account that I read was like, you know, they were like, okay, it was good that we got witches and 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 and, and they're gone, but like we're just gonna stop doing that now. <laughs> and then it was like a long time later when they're like, oh my god, what was that that that, that, that happened a long time ago? Well, I I think uh, in this past year. Um a uh it was either a middle schooler or a high schooler had as a project uh got a, a official posthumous pardon for one of the witches who who was had still not been pardoned uh by you know and then got the governor to uh to pardon them um yeah so yeah, there's 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 still some uh some leftover bits and pieces from that yeah um, well there's a lot yeah. of stuff in history that you know it's also like those posthumous pardons probably don't happen after the admission of guilt. Some of them are like, oh, well, this is something interesting that we can do right now, you know? Yeah. So, so, so maybe it's a little different. I, I'm, I'm reminded of, um, oh, there's something that happened during like Teddy Roosevelt where a bunch of, um, uh, a bunch of black soldiers were like, uh, uh, dishonorably discharged mm. for something they didn't do. And then, you know, they, they, it, it was like in the 1970s when they were like uh, when that was reversed and some of them were still alive. I, I um, could be mixing up my stories, but I almost feel yeah. like there was like rape accusations involved or something. Yeah, it, it was easy to that or it was it was theft or something like that. Um, but yeah, th I, anyway, I don't have time to research this on the on the fly. Uh, <laughs> we'll, so, we'll throw it in the show notes. Right. OK, so. Um, there are, uh, there was a very good, I know there's a very good uh, episode of that on, on History That Doesn't Suck, which is a, a very good American history podcast. We're on World War I right now. Uh, we, I'm, I'm learning all about uh, General Pershing. Anyway, let's go on. Uh, so there are two criticisms of this uh, that I see a lot online. And actually, I think they're both pretty weak. Um, one of them is that, you know, this stuff during COVID that happened really wasn't a big deal. Uh, and that was the one that I found that was very popular was from at Jay Willis. And I'm not going to do a funny voice for the quote that I disagree with. I'm just going to read it. OK, uh, but it's uh, it's been three years and Neil Gorsuch is still upset that hardware stores can stay open. But churches had to scale back a little during a viral pandemic. So basically, this attitude is more like everything happened about how it should. You're complaining about very minor stuff. Um, 
But, you know, to me, it's like, well, first of all, the characterization here, Church has had to scale back a little. I mean, it does seem like if you read the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, like, it's talking about exactly what happened here. Um, and it almost seems like, you know, the, the, the previous generations had warned exactly about this stuff. And so that's what concerns me very much. And it's, it's it also, Gorsuch didn't mention hardware stores. He mentioned casinos. Uh, so I think that's kind of a different situation where it's like, yeah, it wasn't just the essential stuff. Um, it was basically we're going to pick and choose. And it almost seemed like they were picking and choosing to close uh, places where unofficial narratives might be spread. Well, th that combined with the fact that that the people who are are not moved by this uh, are are certainly disproportionately those who uh, place little or no value on uh, places of worship. Um, and, and trust me, I I, I have a, a a soft spot in my heart for my atheist uh, friends, but uh, th simply because you do not. Uh, uh, utilize that resource in your life that it's not an important uh, part part of your well-being doesn't mean that you can write it off as eh, it's not important uh, it, it's not really a hardship to prevent people from doing that yeah yeah and I think that's 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 the attitude of a lot of people who are who are saying this um of course a lot of places of worship kind of did <laughs> closed down on their own uh yeah. let's, well I, I, uh, that that and 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 you mentioned something earlier that made me think a little bit about this uh I am disappointed in the lack of civil disobedience not not that there was none but was I, I it I, I felt like in the the america i thought we lived in i would have expected a lot more and and i hold myself uh partially to account for that you were talking about your experience with vaccine passports um right and i had i i can count on one hand the number of times that i've had to show somebody my 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 vaccine card um not Outside because, of New York City, I never had to. Well, well I was going to say, I'm not so, so sure that that was because, you know, I, I've, I'm i in uh, Massachusetts and spending time in, in New Hampshire and Vermont where things are so much freer. I think it was more that I was uh, I was subject to the chilling effect. I didn't go to places and do things that might have required me to do that. Um, and and so I, I basically self-censored uh, in a way that that I'm I'm a little disappointed in um, and uh, I'm I'm not saying that I should have been you know running through the streets licking doorknobs, but uh, that that I, I I bought into a lot of the fear and uh, and and played it safe in a way that I I feel like maybe bit was was overreacting, and I'm disappointed that I didn't push back at least on a principled uh, stance more often, uh, even if. <laughs> if I didn't actually need to go do these other things. It was kind of hard to do. If you think about it, maybe this is kind of a, a lesson. Cause if you go back to our shows during those times and, and, and we absolutely should, we did get some things right by the way, you know, but we were concerned about, okay, you know, how do you protect yourself and protect your family from this thing that's going on and less concerned about, yeah, society is going to crap, but you know, what can we do about that right now? Yeah, and I mean, I I had my 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 one little moment of rebellion, which was pushing back a little bit on the 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 mandate at work, um, but but I I don't think it had a meaningful effect um, in in the long run. So yeah, I mean, it's it's I feel like there's just at some point there's just like I want people to know that there are dissenters, 
but there there's there's a right time to do it and a wrong time to do it, I guess. Maybe that, it's usually that is, the right time. That is the, the big problem with all sorts of forms of, of uh, dissent and civil disobedience. And, and It's uh, hard to tell. That, that there are absolutely times where you can point at someone and say, what you are doing may, may be you know, legally defensible uh, and, and within the bounds of the law and you have the right to do it. But Good God, the optics on it are terrible. Why are, why are you making us all look like total douchebags by doing this thing you're doing? Let me give you an example of something that I feel like I should have done, like, like at Foursquare. People were saying the most ridiculous stuff on Slack. Like, I remember people saying on Slack, like, I hope we fire the people who are unvaccinated who are working from home, too. You know? And I'm just like, why would you do that if they if they want to be unvaccinated and they want to work from home and you don't have to interact with them because you're working from home first of all so i mean you know why um you know i should have figured out some way to uh, 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 push back on that but it's like is it my job to police the company slack and see what everybody says and then respond to all these things and at some point i was like no these are all crazy people and uh, I'm going to be out of here soon anyway. So well, yeah, I, I I try to to have the the little voice in the back of my head constantly telling me when I'm when I'm on Discord or Slack or whatever, uh, you know that that it is not your job to fix these people. You do not yeah. need you do not need to engage in this argument. In fact, it is highly likely that somebody else will come along and fight this fight. So um, unless there's a unless you have a particular relationship with this individual, then may maybe dial it back and walk away and, and don't let it ruin your day. Yeah. But I, I mean, if, if, if nobody engages them, then, then it, it just perpetuates. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard knowing when, when you have, when you really should jump into the fray and, and when for your, uh, your, your, your self-care, your, your mental well-being, uh, you should disengage. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I, I agree with what you said about places of worship. And, and one thing I actually have not mentioned this to you, we have never had a discussion on like um, theology. I mean, certainly not on the show, um, very lightly in person. That, that might be an interesting thing to try one day, certainly not on the fly right now. But Ooh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's certainly I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear how, how that conversation would go. Uh, this this sounds more like uh, the type of conversation to be had uh, after one or two adult beverages at a local maximum tech retreat. Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Uh, all right. So more concerning. So let's get into the we're, we're, we're dancing around the. Uh, the, the crazier part here. Yes. Yeah, so why are like, we terrible people? Right, right. So, of course, the, the characterization that he writes is most intrusions in civil liberties in peacetime. And then, of course, half the responses to that are online are like, oh, but what about the internment of the Japanese? And it's like, uh, in peacetime, you know, I, I don't even know. But, um, of course, you know, people bring up slavery and Jim Crow. One of the quotes from I, Milheiser, says, and this stuff gets very infuriating, Neil Gorsuch claims that COVID public health measures have been the greatest peacetime intrusions on civil liberties in American history. Could someone please give this profoundly ignorant man one book on slavery or Jim Crow? So that whole, like, you know, uh, that doesn't la land with me, that profoundly ignorant man. Like, I, I have a feeling that Neil Gorsuch knows a lot more than whoever this person is. But look, 
I do think there is kind of, it is a little dangerous to make a sweeping statement like that, most intrusions in civil liberties in peacetime, because then you have to define exactly what counts as an intrusion on civil liberties. What is a civil liberty? Uh, how do you account right. for which I, I, is greatest? And, and I think so, he could make those arguments, but but yes. I agree that, that now it becomes an argument over semantics, and, and that is... Uh, in this context, I think a boring and pointless argument, which we can burn thousands of, of tweets on and get nowhere. Right. So, I mean, like, you know, when he's talking about, okay, uh, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the attacks on freedom of religion and the attacks on freedom of speech, for that matter, um, which was kind of a public-private partnership. So that, that is, uh, you know, that, that, that is a, a violation of freedom of speech. How does it compare with, with other ones? Um, and I, again, <laughs> that's hard to say. I'm sure you could write books on that. I have a feeling that it's worse than, um, it, you know, it'll go down in history as worse than some other infamous situations uh, in terms of free speech. In terms of Restricting people from uh, uh, from from their religious practices. This has got to be the greatest of all time. Now, it, but you know, I, I kind of agree though. If you're talking about just widespread civil liberties, you know, reductions in general, probably Jim Crow has this beat out. Uh, I'm pretty sure it does. But again, that's a that's an example from 60 years ago. I can't come up with an example that's less than 60 years ago, and so that kind of still proves the point. Uh, that Neil Gorsuch was making. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about three generations here. Right, right. Um, and of course, the, you know, the, then the argument becomes, well, he only cares about white people, even though the COVID affected everybody. Anyway. Yeah. I um, mean, there, there was the meme going around, you know, dur during the, the height of COVID uh, and, and the lockdowns that, you know, our, uh, our, our founding fathers uh, fought a rebellion uh, for, for less than this, uh, which... Yes. Which in some ways is true and in some ways not. Uh, I, I think uh, it's it's always instructive to go back and read that section of the Declaration of Independence, which is like, here are the shitty things that the that King George and the British have done to us. And this is why we are pissed off. And and some of those things are uh, lesser. And some of those, I would say, are, are probably a little bit more severe. But but it certainly puts it into the running. Um, not suggesting that that this is a good reason to overthrow the government, uh, but also saying that uh, we should we should put things into perspective here. Yeah, yeah. So um, Jeff Tucker, who's been great on this issue, uh, he's been such a like he's it's such a profound like anti COVID regime person. Uh, to uh, and so um, uh, he he recently wrote something uh, on Daily Skeptic. Um, what are the twelve challenges for a shattered world after COVID? And I'm not going to read through all twelve, but number one is surveillance and censorship. And I kind of agree that would be my number one too. Same argument as above by Gorsuch, which he makes about democracy. Like if information is bottlenecked and throttled, um, even the perceived false information, even if it is actually false, I think society has a harder time getting to the truth. And I think that's what happened here. I think the people in charge convinced themselves that our problem is too many people are spreading false information. So therefore, we have to give people the power to suppress information. And then, of course, they end up suppressing true information. They end up suppressing information from their political enemies. And it's like, what? Do, haven't we been warned that this happens every time? Like, isn't that, you know, you don't have to go back that far. You, you know, all through our history, back to James Madison, back to Zenger, 
you know, all the, probably like from Aristotle and, and, the, and the Bible too, you'd probably find <laughs> some, something like this. Yeah. Well, my, my first thought when, when you mentioned surveillance was um, less, less the, uh, you know, suppressing of, of, uh, of, of opinions and, uh, and, and information, um, but more uh, during the early days. And, and I don't know how much this happened in the United States. There, there were, there were certainly some anecdotal cases of it, but I, I heard about it happening a lot more in, in some parts of Europe um, where it's, it's great to have uh, all sorts of like, you know, Google, not Google trends, but the, the mobility data of like, you know, from cell phones and stuff yeah. of like, we were looking at that when. Foursquare. What I, we what at, I, what yeah. scared me was, was when they'd be like, when I think it was in parts of France that they had a rule. It was like, well, you can, you can go out like once a day to exercise and you can't go further than like a five kilometer uh, radius around your home. And it can't be more for more than 30 minutes or something. And, and they were using these sources of data to find people who were violating that you know, who, someone who went on a run that was, you know, six kilometers from his home instead of five kilometers and arresting them. And, and that is scary because, okay, now it's over something stupid, but we clearly established that they have the ability to monitor your every move uh, and to uh, take, you know, your, your actions, which, which are ostensibly not actually harming anyone, uh, but because you're doing something that they don't approve of, uh, they can throw you in jail or fine you or, or, Otherwise, they can pick you out and make your life difficult. And yeah, we kind of knew that that was something that could happen before. But it was, you know, th there was a Will Smith movie about how how you know crazy conspiracies. Can you imagine if they did this? You know, what was it? Uh, Enemy of the State. Enemy of the State. Uh, but but there's really there's nothing in that movie, pretty much that is that is you know science fiction anymore. Yeah, yeah. Except I don't think it's. I mean, is the guy who's watching us really Seth Green? I hope not. Uh, I, I think we would be, be, we would prefer that to what, what the actual answer is. I, I actually think you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, okay. Yeah, there is, ah, oh, there was, there's so much more that, that I want to say about this. Oh, but yeah, yes. In, in terms of surveilling people, like, you know, let's not forget that like, you know, I had some family members who who tried to take the, like their their kids to the park or to the beach, and like the police would come by saying, "Hey, you can't be here. What are you doing here?" I remember in the city they would lock lock up the playgrounds, lock up the parks. I remember there was a place where they poured sand in a you know in a, in a was uh, it like a skate park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I remember walking around Brooklyn, and one of the parks were like all um, fenced. You know, they, they, they brought fences in to fence in the tiny parks that exist between the roads. And uh, like in those little triangles, one of the fences fell over. So I walked in and I started <laughs> playing the song on my you iPhone. You rule breaker, you. Yes, I started playing Breaking the Law, Breaking the Law. You know, it was, uh, it was kind of fun. But I remember at the, at the beginning, you know, you know the, um, the Hasidic Jews were like, you know, breaking up the breaking off the locks and it you know at first i was like eh, maybe they shouldn't do that maybe they doesn't look good but after a few weeks i was like yeah get them uh but uh yeah well, it's, no, it's, it was there was not so much of... surveillance but there was definitely and there and new york city had a uh, especially during the, the 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 rioting there were um you know there were kind of you know, they make it a pain to go out during the day and it's illegal to go out at night. And so, yeah, it, it was quite restricted. I did feel a little bit like a prisoner to my own home. Well, it's it's reminiscent of uh, 
a, a few administrations ago during one of the the various government shutdowns that okay you know we 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 are shutting everything down uh but we are going to send out uh you know national parks workers or, or public works people to put up barriers around uh national you know, memorials and monuments to make it clear that that you can't use this uh you can't come in yeah. because the government's shut down um we've you know we've we've expended effort and and resources uh to make things more difficult because we're making a statement here um right. and and this is a little bit different but it, it definitely made that pop back up in my mind well in this case it's way worse because a lot of the places that are funded that we're paying tax money for and public funds used for were just shut down and it's like well we don't get you know reimbursed for that you know forget it so that's the way it is all yeah, right. No, no, no rebates for uh, for Zoom school. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so are we ready to get into <laughs> that was a good topic. Are we ready yeah. to just get into probability distribution of the week? Or do you have anything else to add? No, let's let's do it. Let's let's move All on right. before I make myself angry and All depressed. Right. All right. All right. Segment. And now the probability distribution of the week. All right, folks. Probability distribution of the week. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, something. Uh, that this one's actually a fun one. So uh, we could we could uh, we could pair a dark topic before with like a fun distribution because I love this idea of a of a of a circular distribution. And we're going to get to the the probability distribution of the week. It's called the von Mises Fisher distribution. Um, von Mises. Now remember that's. Richard von Mises, not Ludwig von Mises, made that description, uh, the distinction in episode 78 um, on, uh, on Bayesian thinking. Um, but here we have, you know, in, in the past we were doing like, hey, I want a probability distribution over the real numbers, or I want a, I want a probability distribution over positive numbers or something like that. But now we want to find the probability distribution around a circle, you know? So I'm at some point, maybe it's around the edge of a clock. Maybe it's you know some angle. I want to figure out. Um, I want to figure out where on the circle I might be, and so you could build a probability distribution around that. And then, of course, you can expand that to a distribution over a sphere, or hypersphere in multiple dimensions, if you will. Uh, but all of these are example of circular distributions. So, one of the interesting distinctions here is that unlike in real numbers, you where you you really can't have a proper uniform distribution over all real numbers. Like you can't say, oh, every real number is equally uh, is equally likely Be uh, because you, of you, infinity. Right, right. You can say that there are actually objects that that kind of look like that, and I've talked about that in the past. But it's it's sort of a little improv. It's sort of it, it's it's a weird kind of a distribution. It doesn't it doesn't follow the rules. Uh, but in this case, on the circle. You actually, you absolutely can make a uniform distribution, and it totally makes sense to say like, what is a, what is, a, if you make the statement, I'm picking a random spot on the circle, everybody knows what you're talking about. There's no like ambiguity there. Um, okay, but let's say we want to do something a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, um, fancy than the uniform distribution. What can you do? Uh, so there are a couple possibilities that uh, before we get into the the, the main one of the, today, but these possibilities are less than um, uh, they're used, but they're not as satisfying. I would say one is the wrapped distribution, where it's like, okay, um, you know, I have some distribution over all real numbers. Let's say like it's a 
It's a Laplace distribution like we did last time or a normal distribution. And I'm just simply going to wrap it around the circle and add up all its components. Uh, you made a face there. You're probably <laughs> thinking like, yeah, you could do that. But that kind of sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Um, a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> the other area is, the, um, is that you can recognize like, hey, um, this circle actually lives inside a plane, Right. And this sphere lives inside a space. So if I can create a probability distribution on the plane and then restrict it to the circle, I can just use that. So in other words, I can create any um, normal distribution on the plane that I want, you know, any, uh, uh, any, cent any, any mean, any covariance matrix, any standard deviation, that kind of thing, and then take a unit circle and then be like, okay, well, if I confine um, this distribution to just the circle, then I, then, then, then I get something, and I get what I want. And so that is a good strategy as well. Um, but um, yeah, we, we want something a little bit more elegant, and it turns out that this particular one, the von Mises distribution, has some good mathematical properties and some good physical properties. Um, so basically, we have a mean and we want a distribution that's uh, related to the cosine of the angle between the mean and the point. Now, Aaron, I, I know people are probably, uh, uh, not everyone is, uh, you know, remembers uh, trigonometry uh, that well. So pop quiz, how does the cosine work? <laughs> no, I'm uh, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you. But, it fluctuates. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So the cosine of the angle of zero is, is one. Okay. So in other words, if, if, and that's the highest it gets. So if two angles, are, if the angle is so small that it collapses and you're basically at the same point in the circle, then you're at one, you're at highest point. And then if it's 180 degrees uh, 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 difference, um, it becomes uh, negative one. Right. So in other words, the cosine of the angle between the mean point and the point where you're at is kind of a good measure of like how far that point is uh, uh, from uh, from from the circular mean, um, and you know it's going to be a number that varies between one and negative one. But you could scale that up. You could multiply it by some number so that you could be you could say, hey, I want it to be between a hundred and and minus a hundred now. So that's kind of you could do that as well. And then you're kind of living in a space that's both positive and negative numbers. So you take e to that, and you basically take e to the uh, a times the cosine of the angle, and that's your probability distribution. So for those of you who are glazing over at the equations, you know, what does that look like? It essentially just looks like the normal distribution for circles, where, um, you know, that, that, that mean angle specifies where the center is. Um, that scaling factor, if it's really high, you have you're really certain that you're near that area of the circle. If it's really low, then you have, you know, a higher standard deviation and you could be further away from that circle. But then there's a more interesting part to the story because it's not only can the standard deviation like thing, it's not the real standard deviation, get low, but it can become zero. And when it becomes zero, then you have the uniform distribution and then it could go negative. And when it goes negative, you actually have 
like the same distribution at the opposite points in the circle. So, um, so that's kind of interesting that when you move the standard deviation around, at some point it, it wraps around to the other side of the circle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of one way to think about the von Mises Fisher distribution. I have always wanted to use this as an ap actual application. I have never gotten to use it, uh, but I think it's fascinating. I would like to use it. This is related topics and like spherical statistics, circular mean, you know, look that stuff up. Um, but I feel like it's probably really good if you have something where, you know, you want to separate out, well, what's my angle and what's my, um, you know, what's my distance separately. And then if you want to look at the angle, you could look at something like this von Mises distribution. So <laughs> I, it, it is not typically used in, you know, I haven't seen it used in a lot of machine learning applications, but I feel like it should be. So that's, that's, that's my feeling on this. Aaron, this is probably the first you're hearing about this. Any thoughts? I mean, when, when, when you mentioned uh, circular or spherical applications, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, some, some sort of, of GPS related, uh, you know, distribution on, on the surface of the sphere that is the earth. Uh, right. applications i i'm not sure what you would do with it in that context because because what i i'm trying to think of something that that the the distribution of which could be modeled in this way on on earth uh but but i'm and i'm drawing some blanks but but that's well, that's the first place it jumped to well maybe uh you know maybe the, there's some uh prior over where you are on the earth that's uniform and then the posteriors would be where we think you are, given your signals from various satellites. So maybe it could be used like something like that. Um, <laughs> although I don't know if it's a conjugate prior, so I don't know if it would work for that. But it could be a good like um, estimate for these kinds of things. Like, hey, if I have some type of like distribution over the surface of the Earth that kind of looks a little normalish, um, maybe I can turn it into a von Mises distribution or estimate it with a von Mises distribution. And then I have like this really simple way of describing it um, and, and transmitting that information. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good way to, to figure out the, the um, to, for, for that kind of application and for the mapping applications in general. Now, now you mentioned we've, we've talked about uh, uh, Richard von Mises in the past. Um, yes. What do we know anything interesting about Fisher? Oh, so is this, I, that's a good question. So um, is this the Fisher? Uh, is that what I want to know about? I think it is. I, I think it's the, uh, I, I think it's the famous Ronald Fisher who, um, you know, he was a genius, but he's not my favorite because he was one <laughs> of the founders of, um, of, uh, of non-Bayesian, you know, frequentist statistics. Ah. And this is the guy I think who got involved with the uh, smoking campaign that like smoking does not cause cancer. Um, but, you know, when it comes to probability and statistics, uh, let's face it, like he invented a lot of stuff. So I can't just uh, ignore this guy. Yeah. It looks, looks like he was involved in the, uh, the tobacco uh, studies in the fifties. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, oh, so, so, so this uh, is, this this particular distribution was was d discovered established not that long ago i mean you know with, within in, in the last century i guess yeah well it's very surprising you'd be surprised that like many of these things were 
because, um, you know, uh, like when did, um, uh, you know, when did, when were covariance matrices first, uh, uh discovered mm. where you could have like a, a general, uh, like, you know, there's that guy Gibbs who is, who's buried at Yale. He invented the vector notation. And <laughs> honestly, like when, when was, when was this, uh, now I'm going to try to look that up. Who, um, um, Gibbs inequality. It must be him. Uh, yeah. J. William Gibbs. Okay. He died in 1903. Okay. So like in the 1800s, in most of the 1800s, we did not even have vector notation. Uh, and so there would have been no way to talk about normal distributions. And I think that like measure theory is like late 1800s, early 1900s and trying to figure out how to put piece these distributions together. So yeah, all of this stuff is surprisingly new you know, in a lifetime or so, um, you know, so it's, um, it's is, not was, like you're going to invent this, new uh, ones so easily, jo but Josiah Willard Gibbs. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 I'm not familiar with his contribution to vector calculus. Uh, but, but I have heard, uh, physicists mention Gibbs free energy, which seems right. like it's a big deal here as a mathematician. He invented modern vector calculus. Uh, when was it invented? Uh, 1901 book vector analysis. Wow. So yeah, a couple of years before he died. So it, it, it's almost like you really could not have invent, you could not have discovered this stuff in the 19th century. It had to be 20th century or after. And of course, in the 21st century, we have this context of, uh, of machine learning, which, uh, you know, kind of, kind of paints this all in a new light. So we'll see what the influence of that on mathematics is you know, as we, as we march through the decades, uh, I don't, I don't pretend to know, but, uh, but it certainly has affected our discussion of it. Very cool. Yeah. All right. I think that's, uh, I think that's it for today. We've got an hour into our 20 minute <laughs> podcast. I was like, it's going to be as 20 always. minutes today because we're only going to talk about one topic and then get, go to the segment. So that should do it. Uh, but no, still an hour, no matter what, uh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, all right. Uh, any last thoughts today before we move on? No, just uh, folks, if, if you've got uh, thoughts on, on what we discussed earlier, uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you do. Let us know over on the local. Yeah, we're going to settle some scores on this uh, on this COVID stuff. Uh, all right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and their online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.